0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox, and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
2: Looks
3: like for the SP.
4: Hello, folks. Welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. As usual, Joe Biden's new Russian sanctions have no teeth and no real pain for russia. Governor Doug Burgum and former energy secretary Rick Perry are going to help us weigh in on that. John Roberts is going to visit us, give us some color on the South Carolina primary. Is this going to be the end game for Nikki Haley? Well, who knows. And Joe Biden, well he says he has the best economy in the world. Really? Steve Moore and Grover Norquist may have something to say about that. And Ralph Reed is going to tell us why God is endorsing Donald Trump. All right. There's the opening. Now let's head to South Carolina where our very own John Roberts, co-anchor of America Reports on Fox News, is standing by. Um, so, John, what uh, you know, it's kind of a snooze, but maybe it's not a snooze. Nikki Haley's closing. Uh, she's narrowed the lead from, I don't know, 35 to 25. Democrats are going to vote. How do you see it? Well, Larry, if it's a snooze, I better head back
5: to my hotel room and go to sleep (laughs) because we think it's exciting. I mean, this is a big primary. This is the first big southern primary. And everybody is watching to see if Nikki Haley can close the gap in the final hours here. If this narrowing that you talked about is indicative of some sort of surge that she's having or if it's just a natural narrowing. narrowing. narrowing Oh yeah! Uh, wow, that was a great echo. That was worthy of Pink Floyd. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, if it's a narrowing, just because we're getting closer to the primary, or if maybe she somehow picked up support. But all, for all intents and purposes, it looks like she's going to lose and lose badly uh, tomorrow. And the big question is, if you lose your home state as a two-time popular governor, can you go on to fight in the future? Because if you can't win in South Carolina, where can you win? And in order to stay in the contest, you got to win something. Don't forget, 2016... The primary season ended for all intents and purposes May 3rd when Ted Cruz dropped out. But Cruz, Rubio, John Kasich had been in for a long time because they had each won at least one state. Rubio won a couple, Kasich won one, Cruz won a bunch. So you could say, okay, there's a rationale to stay in the race. Nikki Haley hasn't won a single race it looks like, according to the polls, she's not going to win a single race. So I don't know how she makes the case to keep going, but she's going to.
4: John, uh, Byron York is writing today in the Washington Examiner that President Trump made a mistake. He took some pot shots at Nikki Haley's husband, who was, a, I believe, a major in the Army or certainly on service this year. And that um, mm-hmm. a lot of South Carolinians didn't care for that very much and that that could be one reason why the polls have narrowed. Plus, 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 uh, Democrats are probably going to come and vote. It's not that hard to do as long as they didn't vote in their own primary, which was truly a snooze and ultra-boring. Any read on any of those speculations?
5: Well, I'll I'll agree with you that the Democratic primary was, in fact, a snooze. (laughs) I talked to a couple of uh, veterans today, uh, both of them veterans of the Vietnam War, They didn't like the fact that Trump went after Nikki Haley's husband, Mm. even though one of them is going to support Trump. They just thought that 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 crossed the line, that he shouldn't have done that. But then Nikki Haley had a bit of a faux pas earlier this week when she was asked about the Alabama IVF decision from the Supreme Court. And she said that to her, embryos are babies. Well, now you got literally every Republican in the country running away from that decision mm. uh, down in uh, Alabama. Kate Ivey, the governor, Senator Tim Nelson, state senator, and now Donald Trump have come out because Trump just released a statement a couple of minutes ago saying that they fully support IVF. and and the desire of parents to be able to have children through science if they can't have children naturally. So Nikki Haley is now standing a little bit away from the crowd on that particular point. She tried to clean it up yesterday, but I think there's still a bunch of controversy around that. So that may sway some independence away from her and toward Trump. See? That's
4: a really good point. No, 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 you're right. I'd forgotten that faux pas. That's a really good point. If she loses by 30, 35 points, John, I think she's going to have to pull out. If she loses by 20 or 25 points, I think she'll limp toward Super Tuesday and then pull out. John Roberts, what do you think of those hypotheses?
5: Possibly, but, you know, the, the, she won't admit this, but there are a lot of people who support her, a lot of political analysts who believe that she's running a contingency campaign. And that is she's going to stay in it as long as she possibly can, as long as there is money to keep the campaign going in the event that one of these court cases that Donald Trump is is up against ends up in a conviction and voters either turn away from him or maybe he's sentenced to jail time. Who knows? And that for some reason, he can't continue to be the nominee, although I, I think that Donald Trump would continue to run for president even if he was at Sing Sing. But. Although that's a state prison, not a federal prison. But I, I, I think that she's playing this game or this strategy, if you will, that if she is the last person standing or she goes into the convention with more delegates than anybody else, she would make the case to say Donald Trump can't be the nominee. I'm the next logical choice. If that that, ever, that's the only thing I can see. If why that, she's that ever happened.
4: OK, so if that ever happened, that's like the totally worst case. Um, I know they're trying to throw Trump in jail for 700 years, but if. If, some, if something like that happened, John, uh, the Republican Party will nominate someone at the convention in Milwaukee other than Nikki Haley. That is my view on that. In uh, they will that's
5: ju- what a lot, peop- a lot of people are saying. She'll that this never is get that This is a, She's run
4: such a failed
5: strategy. That's that- right.
4: Yes, Even if she goes in with the most number of delegates, Not she matter. still won't be the nominee. Not going to matter. John Roberts is the best of the best. Enjoy Agreed. South Carolina. It's a wonderful place. Have a great time. Of course, Love it here. All right, take care. All right, folks, don't forget you can catch John Roberts and his co-host Sandra Smith on America Reports every day, 1 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. Now, let's head over to Fox Business' Edward Lawrence at the White House. Uh, Edward, you have some thoughts. I know you covered the Treasury for quite some time. Yeah. I'm going to riff on the inadequacy of these sanctions, but I'm dying to hear your thoughts before my thoughts.
6: Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and you, you nailed it. I mean, the, the sanctions so far, they really haven't worked here. And President Joe Biden announced these sanctions uh, were coming. And these are the largest sanctions that have been levied, actually, against Russia since the invasion of the war. And, and listen to the president. Listen to what he said about it here. Listen.
4: We can't walk away now. And that's what Putin is betting on. He's betting on we're going to walk away. That's why I'll be speaking to the G7 folks, some of the heads of the European Union and uh, NATO today. That's why I'm announcing more than 500 new sanctions in response...
6: So the administration has more than 4,000 sanctions on Russia, and none of them seem to have slowed down uh, the invasion that has happened with this. And that is part of the issue here. These may not have the teeth that they want because they won't affect uh, outside of Russia. They they won't impact inside Russia. They only affect Russians going outside uh, to Western countries. Now, President Joe Biden also addressing the border in a meeting with governors. New York Governor Kathy Hochul saying that there must be a common sense approach to who can cross legally and a feeling in the room there of exasperation listen the frustration level is very high with every single governor in in that room uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're a border state we're, we're all border states now there's there's no question the financial strain is is, is definitely taking a toll on all of us and uh, that's that's a very bipartisan message so but the White House here pushing the blame now for the border onto Congress? Is, now we're hearing about executive actions that could be taken. Why wait this long I but have to look very, at executive I've
7: been very actions? clear. We have made no decisions on that. I'm not going to get into policy discussions or hypotheticals that we're hearing right now. Be very clear. But the focus here should be what happened in the Senate in a bipartisan way that Republicans have rejected.
6: I was asking why it took three years now to get uh, other actions or executive actions to be working. Uh, The White House pushing back. A White House official telling me that they have done many actions over the past three years. But still, under pressure, the president now, a source is telling me, is considering executive action to close the border, to bar people who are crossing illegally from getting asylum. Back
4: to you. Edward, when's it going to come out with this? They've been speculating this and talking about this and people are attacking it. Uh, AOC is attacking it. Republicans are attacking. I mean, when's he right. going to when's he going to get something done finally down there?
6: Well, I know, but the feeling about this is, from a number of folks I've talked to, this is a balloon uh, that's sent up to see how it would play in the progressive party. You heard AOC came out against it. And and we may hear something just before or right at the State of the Union address. But clearly, uh, the border is a major issue. uh, The new Gallup poll shows 67% Mm -hmm. of people disapprove how the president's handling the border. Mm -hmm. uh, And and look at at the scenes every day.
4: Edward Lawrence, as always, the best of the best. Thanks ever so much. Now, folks, a little bit more on the sanctions or the non-sanctions. If anybody thinks the new Biden sanctions on Russia are going to have some crippling financial effect or cause some real wartime pain, please think again. What Russia understands is money and oil. And these new Biden sanctions, just like the old ones, will not do any serious damage to the Putin war machine. An investigative report by The Wall Street Journal shows how a mysterious trader from Azerbaijan assembled a secret global trading network that has basically allowed Russia to sell their oil to places around the world like China, Turkey, India, South Africa, Iran, and who knows where else. Not only has clandestine trading network made a mockery of Biden's so called energy sanctions, but it's also made a mockery of the so called $60 a barrel price cap. Russian petroleum sales surpassed $180 billion last year. That, according to the International. Uh, energy agency—it's only slightly below pre-war revenues in 2021, just slightly below. Now, of course, if Biden had listened to Trump and drill baby drill, and the U.S. is producing 15 million barrels a day like we should be, and oil prices were closer to 40 than 80, then Putin would never have had any money to finance his Ukraine war. But he does have money. He is producing somewhere between 10 and 11 million barrels a day. It's about the same as pre-war. Meanwhile, the Bidens have never enforced what's called secondary sanctions. In other words, they've never stopped third-party countries like a China or an India or a Turkey or an Iran, probably several others. Never stopped them from doing business with Russia. Never. Furthermore, The Biden administration has never fully sanctioned Russia's big oil companies or Russia's big banks who lend to the oil companies. There were carve outs all over the place. And finally, the Bidens are afraid to seize the Russian central bank reserve funds that are now part of them in the United States and the rest of them around the world. I think the United States has five or six billion of them and rest of them in Europe. European Union has something like 280 billion. These are Russian central bank foreign exchange reserves been frozen offshore uh, for the last two years. All right. It's just kind of like the secondary sanction failure. The Bidens are afraid to seize these assets. Right. Now, assets are in what foreign exchange, currencies, gold, probably bonds. But the Bidens won't take them. A Wall Street Journal editorial yesterday pointed out. President George H.W. Bush seized Iraqi central bank assets in the early '90s. Remember? Some 50 billion in Iraqi funds were liquidated and paid out to cover the cost of Saddam Hussein's crazy Kuwait invasion. In 2022, just a couple of years ago, about three and a half billion of assets belonging to the Afghanistan Central Bank. They were liquidated and used for relief. The West could use some or all of these Russian central bank reserves as collateral for loans to Ukraine, or a big chunk could be liquidated and shuttled over to finance Ukraine. Congressman French Hill of Arkansas has been working on these plans for nearly two years. Both Senate and House committees have approved the seizure and use of the Russian monetary reserves. Some of those reserves could even be put into a U.S. Treasury could be used as collateral for U.S. loans to the Ukraine. Anyway, none of this has been done by the Bidens. Their sanctions are sanctions in name only. They're not working. It's not not enforcing the sanctions in Iran. It's just like that, not enforcing those Iranian sanctions either. The Bidens are always afraid of roiling the waters, afraid of escalation. How about just that the Bidens are afraid? You know, if they had backbone, they could inflict some serious financial damage on Vladimir Putin. Wall Street would call it a Putin put. That is, go short Putin because the U.S. would be inflicting serious monetary punishment. But that's not going to happen. And so this dreadful war is going to continue. All right, that's my riff. Now, let's talk. uh, Joining us, we welcome back to the show, North Dakota Governor Dud Burgum. Great pleasure to see you. And my dear friend Rick Perry, former Texas governor and former energy secretary. Uh, governor Doug Burgum, thanks for coming back on the show, Rick Perry. Thank you. Governor Burgum, you know, these sanctions are non-sanctions. They were never enforced. There were carve-outs for banks and energy companies. You've got uh, Azerbaijani traders running rings around the United States and the rest of it. And we were afraid to use their central bank reserves, which could really cripple them. $300 billion. I mean, who can take this Ukrainian stuff seriously, Governor Burgum?
0: Well, you can't. 4,000 sanctions before by the Bidens that didn't work, uh, 500 more today. Uh, And this is like Swiss cheese. They can sell right through this. And, Larry, you're so right in your, your opening remarks Uh, I mean, China, world's largest importer of oil, 10 billion, 10 million barrels a day. And now we've got Russia selling billions of dollars of of oil uh, to the BRIC countries and to China. China's replenishing their strategic petroleum reserve. And the only thing I can interpret here is that Joe Biden's trying to have it two ways. He's trying to look like he's acting tough, but he's afraid of getting gas prices to go up in the U.S., And he wants them low before the election, just like he drained our strategic petroleum reserve before the midterms. But that's what he's trying to manage. And at the same time, he's also attacking U.S. energy, like banning LNG exports. So it's almost like his energy policy was designed by Russia itself. It's like stupid
4: to the 10th power. I mean, you know, you can't. Every single thing is a mistake that compounds the mistake. You know, Rick Perry, China's buying a lot of Russian oil. Okay, so we know that. India is buying a lot of Russian oil, so we know that, too. So suppose Joe Biden got on the phone with Xi Jinping. This is sort of like another leader that I can remember and said, you know, if you don't stop buying Russian oil, I'm going to triple the tariffs on all your exports to the United States. Just going to triple them and it will take effect tomorrow under Section 301. Why? Remember somebody, somebody that you and I both know did that kind of thing once upon a time. But that somebody's not in the White House now.
8: Very true. And, uh, you know, wish he was and can't wait till he's back. I'm telling you, this is just this is rope-a-dope foreign policy, what we're seeing out of Biden. Uh, I mean, when you think about he gets up in front of the American people and let me just say as an aside, uh, your monologue was spot on. It's important for the American people to understand that and, and to know the details of these sanctions, sanctions historically have only worked in about 20 percent of the time, unfortunately, because most people that are putting those sanctions into place are more interested in the political message than it sends, rather than making the hard hard decisions and really making the hard impact, because sanctions ought to hurt. You need sanctions to be very precise, and you need for them to be quick and, and swift and really cut to the bone. And that's what Donald Trump did while he was the president of the United States. And Biden is just afraid that he's going to make somebody mad or, you know, frankly, I don't know what drives his foreign policy, but it's uh, it's been weak. It's been, um, again, I go back to the rope-a-dope. He's over here trying to make the American people think that he's being tough. And on the other side of it, there's, he may not be winking at them, but they know that these sanctions aren't really going to have uh, impact. If you want to hurt Putin, open up those LNG ports yeah. along the southern yeah. coast of America and send as much liquefied natural gas as you can to Europe.
4: Yeah. Uh, Governor Doug Burgum, let's talk LNG. Rick Perry worked on that in the White House. I worked on that with him. A bunch of us worked on that. Um, it's tragic in the middle of this Ukrainian war, which Biden, you know, makes so many grandiose statements about. But the fact remains, cutting off LNG is the stupidest idea. Plays right into Putin's hands. They never should have allowed the Nord Stream pipeline. We were going to stop that, the Trump administration. And I know you've been in contact with President Trump and uh, Governor Burgum. You've been campaigning for him. What is the president saying, or what do you want the, you want the president to say, former president, about all this? Because this is a fiasco. This is making America look bad. It seems to me.
0: Well, both of you have worked with President Trump and you know that he's a common sense guy and it just makes sense. We should be selling energy to our friends and allies as opposed to uh, letting our adversaries be the world's suppliers. And that simple thing would would change our economy. It changes our national security. It changes uh, all of our relationships. And it's not I mean, certainly LNG from the Gulf Coast to Europe is a no brainer because otherwise they're going to keep buying it from Russia. But go the other way. Last night, I'm here in D.C. for the governor's uh, national conference talking to the ambassador from Japan. Japan has almost no oil and gas. If we had LNG exports on the West Coast, if you get a pipeline from the Bakken uh, or from the Permian down in Texas to the West Coast, Japan would buy 20 years of LNG Mm -hmm. from us and they'd stop buying Buy, they'd stop buying from the Middle East. So we've got a global opportunity and maybe a global responsibility to sell to our allies like Japan, like South Korea, like the Philippines, like uh, like everyone in Europe, because if we don't do that, uh, we're just going to let the other guys fill it up. And Biden's paying for... Or, or, Putin's paying for his war with, with his oil sales. Iran is funding terrorism with their oil sales. Iran, with Biden, lifting the sanctions on Iran, lifting them on Venezuela. Uh, they're flooding the market uh, with our adversaries. Our adversaries are making bank like they've never had before.
4: Yeah, you know, Rick Perry, uh, Mr. Burgum is right. China is financing two wars against the United States by buying Russian oil and by buying Iranian oil. And in both cases, we, the U.S., should have sanctions on both. They should have primary sanctions, no carve-outs. They should have secondary sanctions. They could be stopping ships in midstream. I mean, this uh, Azerbaijani uh, trader is running circles around it. I think that's pretty pathetic. Um, Another point, Rick Perry, before I lose you guys. um, I know, Rick, you're a big advocate of nuclear. And there's a good story in The Wall Street Journal how Canada is going nuclear. Now, I never, the greenies who say they like renewables don't ever seem to like nuclear. And here's another example of what the United States should be doing, but isn't doing in energy.
8: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was down in South Texas just earlier in the month for a project down there on some of the largest uranium reserves in North America are along the Texas Gulf Coast. And uh, again, getting the message, we ought to be given incentives to companies uh, to be able to develop their uranium. Right now, I don't know what the percentage of the re- uh, uranium that we uh, rely upon Russia for, but it is a substantial percentage. And the idea that we're waiting on uh, the Russians to uh, to make sure that we have uranium is just a fool's errand. So absolutely, we need to be focused on small modular reactors. We need to be given a lot of incentives. If all of these incentives on renewables had been focused upon how we develop a small modular re, uh, reactor uh, world and, and how we develop more fuel, we would be substantially farther ahead because it's base load, It works 24-7, emission-free, and if you're uh, one of the folks who care about the environment – uh, which I'm one of, but not a, I'm not a radical. <laughs> I realize that you can do that yep. and do it in a safe, yep. walk-away uh, way with small, modular reactors.
4: Doug Burgum, uh, last one to you. Uh, you and I this afternoon are talking to one of the great energy secretaries of all time. Uh, Doug, you have a great record as a businessman and a governor in an energy-rich state.
0: Are um, you fixing to be Mr. Trump's energy secretary if he wins? Well, I think I think both of you know that uh, President Trump, he'll pick a great cabinet uh, when the time of his choosing comes. There's a lot of people that want to work and serve with him. I think the most important thing for all of us right now is to get him elected uh, because in energy states like Texas or North Dakota, we can't take another four years of Joe Biden's policies and neither can America. Our economy can't. Our our families can't. Our communities can't. Uh, We've got to win in November.
4: Great stuff. Thank
0: you, gentlemen, Governor Doug Burgum. Former Governor and Energy Secretary Rick Perry, my
4: very dear friend, you're both terrific to come on the show. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back to take a look at our economy. Is it really the best in the world, or what?
0: The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
2: It's clear we have
9: the strongest economy in the world, and that's not hyperbole. We have the strongest economy in the world today.
4: Nearly 15 million new jobs created, a record. Growth is strong, wages are strong, rising faster than prices. Inflation is down. More to do. oh there he goes again. Let's ask Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, WABC uh, radio talk show host More Money, and Grover Norquist, President of Americans for Tax Reform. I thought I was going to give you a bite out of this apple, then we're going to come back after the break. Steve Moore, best economy in the world. Joe Biden got it right?
10: Well, pretty much so. I mean, I think we should be growing a lot faster, Larry, but... You know, the fact is we have great American companies. You saw what happened with NVIDIA. They are dominating the artificial intelligence uh, area, just like our great companies like Google and Apple and Amazon, you know, dominated the uh, Internet age. So, yeah, we've sinned a lot. But let's not follow the model of Europe. We're kicking the asses of China, Japan, uh, Europe. I I love it.
4: Grover, you know, the question is uh, the GDP numbers have been good for the last uh, year. I agree. But government stimulus, we're going to have to pay the piper. Government stimulus is a big part of it, Grover. And also what Steve's talking about, you know, the NVIDIA gold leading to the AI revolution, that came from the private sector. That's private software investment,
3: Grover Norquist. Biden didn't have a thing to do with that. No. And all of Biden's proposals, the ones that have passed and the ones that he threatens to put in, have made us grow slower, have reduced the number of jobs, reduced the amount of investment, reduced the value of your 401K. His participation in this this economy has been to make it weaker, not stronger. He has one chance, the Republicans are putting before him, uh, re-upping, continuing the uh, research and development tax credit and full expensing. Two ideas from the uh, Trump-Republican tax cut that the Democrats in Congress are begging to continue. Trump, uh, uh, Biden ran promising to, to abolish those. He's now going to sign them mm. because he recognizes the importance of the Trump tax cuts to this economy. I'm pretty soon be cutting marginal tax rates. Steve Moore, is there going to be a government shutdown in
4: Washington? When they come I sure back, hope not. You? I mean, I think I don't think it, it I don't think it works for the Republicans or the country. I mean, uh, they're going to have to fish your cut bait. There's a 1% across the board cut for domestic spending. Yes. Uh, isn't that, shouldn't that be where the GOP cut. is? That's where they should be. Yeah, so they're not going to do it. All right, we'll take a quick break here. We're going to bring the boys back. I want to talk about why Biden still hates rich people. I want to talk about why Biden wants to raise taxes on your wealth, whether it's constitutional or not. what about those jobs he keeps saying he created? I I can't count them. I can't find them. Anyway, we will also talk about why God is endorsing Donald Trump. None other than Ralph Reed is going to help us out on that one. A little bit controversial. I'm Kudlow. A little bit controversial. We'll be right back. Stick around. All right, a little more on the economy. Here we are back with Steve Moore and Grover Norquist. Um, Steve Moore, why does Trump hate rich people? Why does Trump hate successful people? Why does not Trump, Biden, I beg your pardon. Biden wants a good economy, but he he just doesn't like the people that make it a good economy. He doesn't want to reward success. His numbers are completely wrong, Steve Moore. Right. And uh, he wants to tax wealth and success. I don't get it. Absolutely. By the way, I just want to
10: clarify something. I'm not saying that Joe Biden is responsible for this, this, uh, uh, this economy. I think we have just great companies, Larry. I think we have incredible entrepreneurs, inventiveness uh, that is nowhere found except in this great country of ours. And I think if you could get the government out of the way, and you can get Donald Trump back in, which I think is going to happen. I think the economy is going to grow twice as fast. It's all the private sector that's that's leading this growth. Now, Biden doesn't understand that. He wants to attack the very people that create the jobs, that create these incredibly... Uh, dynamic companies. He wants to regulate the Internet now. And he, the, his, his, uh, his agencies at the Federal Trade Commission want to, you know, uh, break up big tech, even though they account, those magnificent seven companies mm. account for half of the gain in the stock market. So I don't understand why the people who create the jobs and the 1% that pay almost half of the income tax, Larry,
4: yep. and he's saying they don't pay enough. Yep. No, no, we ripped on it last night. We were talking about it with Arthur, And Kevin Hassett last night. Grover Norquist, the other thing before we leave you guys, and you've been great. The other thing is the Democrats just want a tax on wealth. They want a tax on uh, unrealized capital gains. Uh, They want a tax on estates. I mean, they don't like wealth. Their numbers are always wrong. But there's something about it. The progressives hate wealth. And yet wealth drives the economy.
3: (laughs) Progressives and Biden dislike and are uninterested in people who run their own lives, small businessmen and women, uh, mm. people who have a, uh, are in the gig economy, mm. uh, independent contractors, small businessmen or large businessmen, because they can't be told what to do and they can't be bought, they're independent. They demonize them and attack them because first you have to attack someone and then you can get the public to agree we should tax them. Mm. And the reason he wants to tax the rich is that he hasn't finished the sentence. We're going to tax the rich first. Then you. The income tax was put in on people who made more than $10 million. Right. Yep. Now it's on... Uh, half the country, mm-hmm. they start by taxing the rich and then they move it down to everybody else. But they start by demonizing the rich. And who cares? Because they can't be bought. You can't go to someone who's like welfare if they're self-employed. The irony
4: in this, we'll leave it there. Uh, the irony is the Democrats have become the party of the rich. It's the Republicans that are the party of the blue collar yeah, working so class. I mean, it's just yeah. ironic. I'm, I mean, yeah. I, want, I want everybody to get rich. I want the non-rich to get rich. Uh, I want to create as many billionaires as possible, uh, especially Steve Moore and Governor Norquist. Thank you. All right, we're going to switch gears to our political panel. This is great fun. Let's talk about God endorsing Donald Trump. Joining me now is Ralph Reed from the Faith and Freedom Coalition, who has a direct line to the good Lord. We also have Kayleigh McGee White, journalist and senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, and the great Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. Ralph The reason you're so important, I know you have a direct line to the Lord. You always have. But Trump gave a speech, knocked the ball out of the park to the national religious broadcasters, uh, their international Christian media convention. And I noticed Trump has the support of virtually every pastor in the state of South Carolina, Ralph Reed. So it looks like the good Lord is looking nicely at the Trump campaign.
2: Well, uh, I think what you're going to see tomorrow in South Carolina, Larry, is a a very impressive performance by the president among voters of faith. Self-identified, born-again evangelical Christians made up 67 percent of the entire primary in 2016. I think they may exceed that tomorrow. And today he's winning 70 percent of their votes. Uh, In the general election in 2020... He won 84% of their votes. I think he's going to be higher than that when he's the nominee in the general. And it's really not that complicated why, Larry. It's not all this nonsense and this um, anti-Christian bigotry and smear campaign of accusing people of faith of being Christian nationalists. It's simply the policies. Mm -hmm. He was the most pro-life president in American history, the most pro-Israel, the most pro-religious freedom, He suspended enforcement of the Johnson Amendment, Mm. which was put in by Lyndon Johnson in the 50s to try and silence evangelical churches. And these folks, those pastors who were in Nashville, Larry, that he addressed so eloquently last night, uh, recommend all your viewers go and and watch that speech or read the transcript. Uh, They're no different than any other voters. They're driven by policy and by issues Mm. and uh, particularly given. This current administration, the way they've targeted parents, the way they've targeted Roman Catholics and evangelicals, uh, they're hungering for a a return to to President Trump's leadership.
4: And I think, you know, um, Kaylee, I'll go to you on this. Uh, As Ralph has eloquently put it, and I've known Ralph and, and his wonderful views for so many years, it's not, you know, it's a battle against secularism. It's a battle against those who hate religion of almost any kind. I mean, in that sense, you know, what, what Trump is saying is I'm going to you folks believe in God. It's hard to know how this could be a great country without belief and faith in God, God of your choosing, God of your understanding. And I think people are rallying to that during these times. Kaylee uh, White, I mean, I let you weigh in on this, but I think it's no surprise that Trump is garnering that kind of support.
1: Right. Not at all. And this is an an important issue to me. I grew up as a pastor's daughter. My faith is still very important to me. And I'm not naive enough to believe that Trump is some great spiritual leader personally. But on a daily basis, despite his many flaws, he shows more understanding and respect for Christians and their faith than the vast majority of the left, which seems to think that any expression of faith in the public square is fascism. Indeed, they've said exactly that. And during his speech last night, one of the points that Trump made was, again, this comparison that you're talking about, about, is is that it is a choice between the faith and and the secularism of the left. And he's not exaggerating when he explains the threats that Christians are now facing in this country. As Ralph touched on, these are the same people who have relentlessly attacked a Christian baker in Colorado to try and get him to violate his convictions. The same people behind an FBI memo smearing traditional Catholics as potential domestic terrorists. The same people who would love to make it impossible for Christians to adopt because of their beliefs about sex and gender. So this November, as a Christian, there really is no choice at all for me. Or if there is one, it's a very simple one.
4: You know, Charlie, um, Declaration of Independence, you know, our rights are derived from a natural order, from our creator. It doesn't say our rights are derived uh, from the democratically elect state court or school board. It says our rights come from God and that the government's supposed to work for us. It's a fairly simple concept, but the battle now over that simple concept has been joined. It's a royal battle, Charlie. And I think uh, Donald Trump is—that's why he's gotten so much support from the evangelicals uh, and other faith-based groups.
9: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, of course, nobody misunderstands the whole concept of deriving our rights from God more than than the modern— mainstream press in America. They have no concept of it. Uh, they assume that our, all of our rights come from uh, p- uh, g- the government or um, or elected leaders. And, you know, Ralph can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think that, you know, throughout human history, there has never been a greater force for religious liberty than the United States of America. Mm. And a lot of Americans are looking around at our country today and they're seeing what's going on in our country today Uh, much of it uh, being done by elected political leaders, uh, particularly on the Democrat Party, um, trying to destroy the country and trying to destroy our religious liberties. And and a lot of those people look at Donald Trump and they see a guy, the only guy who has stepped forward and is willing to unabashedly, uh, ferociously fight, die on the hill of protecting our country and saving our country, the single greatest force that has ever protected religious liberty uh, in the in, mm. in the course of human history. And so uh, because of that, and, and of course, they're also, they happen to have read uh, the Old Testament, so they also know that the Lord works through some very strange characters, some people that you might not expect to be well. uh, people that God works through. And, uh, and they're very comfortable with a guy like Donald Trump, c- uh, no matter how much uh, he may or may not personally be, I, uh, you know, this uh, pure I can and tell driven you, snow.
4: I can tell you, just speaking personally, uh, this is like a confessional today, but I like that. God has done for me what I could never do for myself. And um, you can fill in the blanks any way you want, but I've never been bashful about my private life and its ups and downs. But Ralph Freed, you know, this also is a battle against this far-left woke business infiltrating every part of our lives, as the left is trying to do. And I think the faith-based community sees a champion in Trump against woke.
2: I don't think there's any question about it. And whether you're talking about the rights of parents to be involved in the education of their children, whether you're talking about the rights of the faith community to be involved in compassionate works without being discriminated against by government agencies, uh, whether you're talking about the First Amendment rights of believers, um, you know, this is all under assault. And there's a reason, Larry, why it's the First Amendment. Mm. It's the reason why it was the First Amendment. Because those of us who understand freedom and liberty, as our founders did, understand that liberty is indivisible. If you can restrict and harass... And intimidate and silence people based on their faith, then you can also infringe on other liberties as well, including in the economy and in the marketplace. Yes, you won't see a nation that respects religious faith that is socialist or communist mm. in its economic policies. Right. And it's Doesn't very basic.
4: You're exactly right. Ralph Reed. thank you. Charlie Hurd, Kaylee McGee-White. Wish we had more time. Always do. Anyway, folks, we're going to take a quick break on the other side. Democrats going to replace Joe Biden with Gavin Newsom? I mean, the governors are in Washington. Is it Gavin Newsom week? I don't know. We have our very own Peter Ducey. He'll fill in some of the important blanks. I'm Kudlow. Faith-based. That's a good thing. Okay, state governors in Washington, D.C., and their rumors about California's Gavin Newsom Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey has all of the info. Peter, what can you tell us?
7: And Larry, I don't know about you, but basically everywhere that I go, people are asking me if we're going to see more of this, uh, this moment that we have video of from earlier today soon in the White House. It is Gavin Newsom. Uh, There he is in the East Room. But uh, he himself says that he just wants to be invited to a second Biden inauguration. And the Biden team is not preparing any contingencies for Biden to step aside. Uh, There's not going to be a second Biden inauguration, though, if there is no fix at the border. And now, despite years of saying that border policy needed to be more humane than Trump's, he is reportedly considering something very close to Trump's. Why would he even be considering now a border policy that is more similar to Trump?
1: What border policy are you talking
7: about? Axios is reporting that the legal authority, Biden, is considering using power Trump's Muslim ban and similar sweeping restrictions at the border. I'm not going to get into, uh, get into uh, or comment on individual policy uh, option uh, that's being speculated right now. As I said before, no decisions have been made. And there's some additional reporting about concerns donors now have with President Biden's increased use of note cards, even in private. That was apparently in play today as governors got together to talk immigration.
8: I presented it again today directly to the president and said he asked for collaboration and I had a 10 point plan for him. This is the first time we've actually been in one room talking about it. Unfortunately, it was too scripted and too prearranged. There's more we can do. And now's the time to act.
7: And we've been told they had about three dozen governors there with the president, even with no cameras around, there were pre-screened questions just two questions one from the left side one from the right side for the president and that was a wrap larry
4: peter kjp got very depressed when you mentioned trump just saying
7: <laughs> they don't like when we talk about trump in there yeah
4: that you report we decide peter do see the best of the best thanks ever so much be right back with my last word i just say for my part, a God-based, faith-based country, schools, families, kids, parents, work, everyone. That would be a great, great country.
9: And Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think.
6: Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.